Hello and a very warm welcome to Be With Champions. This is a show with inspiring, entertaining and informative stories shared by the world's greatest athletes and high performers. You can learn how they got to the top of the world and how they've been able to stay there. Each episode will delve deep into the topics ranging from training and competition, nutrition, sleep and recovery to the mental strategies, all so important when building a strong person or team and everything else in between. Yes, I'm Phil Liggers and I commentated on Greg Bennett during his Olympic career and I'm here to introduce you to him. The man who was a world number one triathlete and has been at the very top of his sport. So here we go. Please meet your host, Greg Bennett. Take it away, Greg. All right, today's guest is one of the greatest endurance athletes on the planet. She's an incredible three Ironman World Championship titles, an Ironman 70.3 World title, and a list of wins that never seems to end. She's achieved all of this with one of the most dynamic, fast, and fluid runs that the sport has ever seen. In fact, her marathon run splits at the Ironman World Championships have been top three overall. She has a determination and a confidence that's relentless in the pursuit of winning championships, but she's not all business. She knows how to have a laugh and a good time, and she's always supportive of others. It's an honor to have a true legend of the sport of triathlon and a very good friend of mine on the show. Welcome to Be With Champions, Mrs. Marinda Carfrey. How are you, Rini? I'm great. Thanks. Uh, that was a very nice intro. GB? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm flattered. You know what? All of my guests have kind of said something similar. I'm kind of enjoying the big intros, but honestly, I'm just reading your resumes. So it's always, yeah. you guys are always really flattered. And then I'm like, well, actually, it just is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so how are you and where are you at the moment? Yeah, so we are down in Noosa, Australia. Um, we decided to come down a little early this year. We wanted to do Christmas with my family for a change in Australia. Um, so Tim could have a hot hot summer Christmas. Um, mm. And also my mum's was supposed to have had her, had her brand new house finished, but as always, it's delayed. It hasn't quite finished yet. So we're supposed to have our first Christmas in mum's brand new house, but um, we ended up having it at my brother's house and it was it was a great time anyway. Uh, but That's yeah, awesome. we're down We're down in Australia uh, probably, you know, a month or two earlier than normal. Yeah. And so now you've had your break and now you're kind of building up your training again. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, we haven't really changed um, our approach much to over the years. You kind of, you know, take some downtime November, December and sort of start building back up, you know, into January and usually we would come as I mentioned later to Noosa sort of February March because we're really rolling with training then but we've actually really enjoyed coming down and not being like high stress 25 30 hour weeks of training you know we've had more time to spend Mm -hmm. with family and go to the beach and obviously um, more easy time obviously is um, always a priority for us. <laughs> and for the people that don't know, Noosa, Australia, Noosa, Queensland, Australia is is honestly one of the most beautiful locations in the world. It's a, a very big tourist spot for Australians and, and people from around the world. But in terms of training, the, the aquatic center there and the, the biking is magnificent and some really great running and good weather this time of year. And you have a good little crew down there as well, right? You've got a lot of other friends and other people you can train with. Yeah, we, we like coming down here. Um, obviously, we miss our, some of our best friends, the Bennetts, um, who, <laughs> <laughs> who haven't come down the last couple of years with us. But, you know, that we've got the Grangers who live here and also Beth um, um, and Luke McKenzie uh, who also live here. A lot of our friends are, are retiring <laughs> and, like, mm. um, sort of uh, hanging up the triathlon and 
boots and we're still sort of hanging in there for, for a few more years, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always nice to come back and um, hang out and uh, always a good social, social life here as well, which is important. That happens when you have a lot of old friends, you know, (laughs) and you can blame Laura for us not being in Noosa. I would have come down to Noosa the last few years, but she keeps to want to having to have babies and and stuff. So here we are in Florida, close to her family. But our plan is to get back down there and and spend a lot more time. And that's, well, that's my plan anyway. I've just (laughs) convincing her. (laughs) Keep working on LB. Yeah. Yeah, so 2019, you you know, for those that don't know, you had your daughter Izzy, Isabel, right, um, yep. in 2017, August 2017, and and that was a big change for you because you'd, you'd pursued the sport relentlessly, you know, for many, many years before that, and then it was like, okay, I'm going to step away, family's important to me, I want to have a child, and and a beautiful child she is, and, and you guys are a magnificent family, but you, you then wanted to come back, and that's always, you know, it's always a great story, you know, because it is incredible to suddenly have a child and then have to build your fitness back at the same time as being a mother. And so there's a lot on your plate. Mm-hmm. You built yourself back up in 2018, all the way to getting a fifth at Kona Ironman. 2019, you then went on to win a number of 70.3 Ironmans. And, and I think you were in very good shape before you went to Kona Ironman this past year. And it didn't end up you know, the way we'd want it. But it's been a, a quite a journey sort of coming back from, from having Izzy. How's that been for you? Yeah, you know, um, you know, far rewinds, you know, probably six or seven years, um, having a baby was always on our cards and having a family was always very important to us. But I always mm. thought I would continue racing until I was done with it and then have a family and, and um, not try and come back. But as the years passed on, I'm still enjoying the sport. Um, and to be honest, I spent probably the first 10 years of my career um, trying to make a name for myself and get the results. And then I finally got the results, got some good sponsorships. And then I'm like, I, you know, I'm finally getting paid um, a decent amount of money to do the sport that I love um, to like walk away from all of that. Seemed, seemed kind of silly um, to be honest, mm, just mm, because, mm. you know, I still have the love for it, which is more important than anything else. Um, and yeah, so I kind of, Decided to take the year. Fortunately, we got pregnant right away, right after Kona. So I took basically a full year off um, and then was able to come back in 20, 2018. Um, so, yeah, we had Izzy in 17, uh, didn't race at all that year, and I was able to have a gradual build-up to properly race the 2018 season. Um, and, yeah, I mean, being out of shape, you know, after doing the sport for as long as we've been doing it, you have, you know, you're two, three weeks off and you feel like you're out of shape. You're like, oh, I'm so out of shape. I'm um, terrible. Like it's going to take months to get back, but having a baby and like Mm. really properly getting out of shape. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I could have trained through my pregnancy, but I wanted to, um, just honor the the fact that I was growing a human and Mm. give all my energy to that. And, um, you know, everyone has their own approaches and there's an, I, don't, I don't think there's no perfect way to do it, but this is the way I wanted to do it. I wanted to, mm. you know, stay active, um, but I wasn't thinking of myself as a professional athlete throughout my whole pregnancy. And then probably eight weeks after I had Izzy, I didn't do a thing, no exercise at all, or maybe a few walks with Izzy once, once my body was <laughs> healing mm. up. Um, but I really took the time to recover um, and enjoy that, you know, time with Isabella when she was an infant and Timothy was getting ready for the um, Ironman World Championships. So we wanted to be able to, you know, support him through that. So, I, yeah, I really took my time um, 
taking time off. So when I did want to start up again, it was a massive challenge. Um, you, you're working with a body that you don't even, it's completely unfamiliar um, to you. Like you're heavy and, and jiggly and have boobs mm. for the first time in my life. Um, <laughs> these, these are all things that you just aren't used to. And it, it really took, I honestly thought it took 18 months before I felt like I was running like my old self. Um, the swim and bike came back a little quicker. The swim I don't think I ever really have a hold of, so that kind of <laughs> came back okay. Um, and the bike, uh, I just end up doing a lot of time with the trainer, so I sort of put down my um, strong biking in the 2018 season to just spending a lot of time in the trainer and also just that mental strength you get from being a mum. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, it took a solid 18 months before I felt like I was, I was running well. And, I yeah, know Laura, Laura, Laura's gone through the Laura's gone through the same thing, and 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 you know I, I seem to be a man that surrounds himself with some of the strongest women in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, when I'm married to Laura, you're one of my better friends, and a lot of the other women in the sport are some of the strongest, toughest. I don't like the word tough, but um, just incredible women. And and I've seen that you know having a baby, it's like it really it really does impact you know, you a hell of a lot. And and so to come back from that is just it really is remarkable the way you've been able to sort of build yourself slowly, take the time that you you needed um to wind yourself and get yourself going again. It's really been amazing to watch and to see you back up on the world stage and winning races again. It's been fantastic to see. But what I'd like to do is I'd want to wind the clock all the way back um and ask you, you know, you say you love the sport and when did you first sort of have a passion for endurance sports. Um, maybe sp- start even with just sport, but then endurance sport. How did that all work for you? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I didn't know that. I think uh, I was probably around thirteen when I realised that you could be a professional athlete. Um, so I remember playing basketball and like loving playing basketball, but I didn't really think there was anything beyond just loving, you know, playing, you know, club. Um, and then one of my fellow teammates was say, I want to play in the WNBL, which is the Women's National Basketball League here in Australia. And I'm like, well, what's what's that? And so that was around when I was 13. I'm like, what? Like you can play basketball all day, every day and <laughs> not have a real job? And I, that was like whole, my mind was completely blown. My 13-year-old mind was completely blown at that point because I'm like, I just want to play sports all day. Um, I always remember thinking that when I was young. Um, and then I realized that actually you can do that if you're good enough at, at a sport. Um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I um, didn't end up being good enough in basketball, but that sort of helped me stumble upon triathlon. And I never really enjoyed endurance sports. I, I, I guess I just never really pursued them in, in school. I, I did well in, in running and cross country and always were pulled into the athletics and, and cross country, but I never took it seriously. I did like what you know the one four the one four k cross country when the cross country day was on and then I did the next one I never did any training um, and then I did the next one when I got onto the zones or whatever um, the state state one <laughs> but never really enjoyed it and just you know did it because my you know my school asked me to and then yeah once I finished high school um, yeah I just learnt about triathlon I didn't even know what sport was which is pretty strange given that you know, at the time. Uh, Australians were dominating, um, yourself included, uh, the world stage in Olympic distance racing and um, to an extent long course as well with uh, Welshie winning uh, the world champs and 
Um, McKeeley hadn't quite stepped up to the long course, but yeah, Australians were dominating ITU. Um, no doubt about that. Uh, anyway, I, uh, yeah, kind of the sport intrigued me. I think that's what, um, I was like, really three sports, swimming, cycling, and running. This sounds crazy. I want to do it. Um, (laughs) and then I did do my first triathlon. I think it was around, I finished school in uh, 98, the end of 99. I did my first ever, um, little short course race as like a 300 yard, 300 meter swim, a 10 K bike and like three K run. And I think I finished, it was super low key local race and I finished third overall. Um, but during the race, I just remember thinking, this is horrible. Like in the swim, like you can't breathe, you're getting beat up on the bike. Every, your legs just hurt. Like cycling hard just hurts. And then running off the bike, my God, that's kind of the worst feeling ever. Um, but you cross, I crossed the line and I'm like, I finished third. Like, wow, like that's amazing. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of that competitive spirit um, within all of us that kind of says I can do better. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to 2001 and I was on the Australian junior team and that for me was a massive um, eye-opener. I, mean, play, I played basketball for 11 years and I never – I made the state team but was kind of went away with that team and sat on the bench a lot, didn't really get many minutes. And then here I was um, getting to pull on the green and gold, travel internationally for the first time. We went over to Edmonton and raced. Um, never mind, I was probably third or fourth last um, that day um, in, at that world championships, but it just sort of, you know, the, the door was op- cracked open for me. And I think mm. that, um, was enough for me to say, okay, this is what I'm going to pursue and I'm going to get good at this sport. Um, so, so for you, it was a, you found that kind of passion gradually over time. Obviously, you know, like you said, there's this, uh, competitive spirit within all of us, but what I've seen with you over the probably 20 years we've known each other is, some of us are competitive and some of us have that even a little bit more <laughs> competitiveness than others. And I, your spirit has definitely been aflame for a long, long time. And I can imagine you finishing third in that first race you did at the end of 99 and just being, I don't know, I think some people would react and go, oh, that was kind of fun. Maybe I'll do another one. Whereas I can just see you reacting to it. I can see younger Rini just going, yep. Yeah, I am going to, <laughs> I'm going to obliterate this sport. It would almost ignite a fire. When, so when was that time you kind of you developed this passion? When was that? Did you kind of find there was a point where you're like, "Hang on, I I like this sport, and actually, I have some talent and ability. I, I have some strengths in this." Was there a, a kind? Of, did that happen gradually, or was there one race or something that kind of said, "Hey, I'm actually reasonably good at this"? Yeah, I think. Um, well, one of them was uh, I, I finished second at the Australian Junior Junior Champs in Malulbar, and that. Um, put me in the AIS, which which enabled me to go and race um, Edmonton World Champs. But the big uh, breakthrough, I guess you want to say, for me was the year later at the World Championships in Cancun. I'd actually had a full year of, you know, I was exposed to the World Championship um, scene. Um, I'd had a year to train and train properly, like really focused training. And I went to Cancun, uh, raced the under-23 race and – I finished second that day um, and out sprinted, you know, one of the greatest triathletes of all time, Nicholas Virig, um, who won the junior world title the year before. Um, so that was a you know, massive, massive confidence builder. I swam a little better, swam with her and in the main pack. And then um, myself and uh, Nikki Butterfield pretty much took control of the bike. And 
uh, we actually were told to hold back because there were two Australians, Annabelle Luxford and Josie Lone, off the front. Um, so we were told to hold the second group back because that's when we were starting to talk about team racing and I still am mad about that. <laughs> I bet. Um, I bet. Because I remember Bill Daveron standing on the sideline, you two, you can't go unless you can go by yourselves because we had Nicholas Virig, the reigning world championship champion in our group. And so we were told to, you know, sit in there and um, and let the Australian girls get further off the front. We let the Australian girls get further off the front and there was three of them. There was, um, well, Josie and Bella and then uh, Pilar Hidalgo, the Spanish girl, and she actually ended up winning the race. So. Oh, so um, you was, basically played into the Spanish hands that day. Yeah, too. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then you know I ended up finishing second, which you know, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, yeah, it's one of those races. I'm like, yeah, that was that was. I had a special day on that day, and um, unfortunately, wasn't able to. Yes, but it was a tremendous day of learning. I mean, and just so people don't know, Bill Daveron was a Triathlon Australia uh, high performance director for, for many years in the early, early noughties. And, and that was 2002, wasn't it? Cancun World Championship. Yes, just exactly. refresh my mind. Sorry, yeah, yep. I'm getting too old. I can't even remember that. But, no. <laughs> and, and, and you talk about Nicola Spirig. And for those that don't know the sport of triathlon, uh, Nicola went on to win the Olympic gold medal in London in a very close uh, sprint finish um, with Lisa Norton. And uh, phenomenal. If you ever want to YouTube just a, a tremendous sprint finish, go to 2012 uh, Women's Olympics Triathlon. And then she also went on to get a silver medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics. So, you know, when we're, when we're mentioning your name in the same breath, we, we're mentioning, you know, Nicholas Spirig and you two have sort of come through and you've gone the long distance. She kind of focused a little bit more on the Olympic distance. But I don't know. I, I think that's an incredible story how the two of you, you know, went. Did she end up third, you said, in that race? Yeah, she ended up third. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's great. I love that. So in 2002, we're truly seeing the, the future of the sport, you know, and I can imagine, I mean, we all have similar stories where, you know, they've told us to race a certain way or we just have raced a certain way, whether we can blame anybody else or not. We, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't think any of us retire from our sport without going, oh, that would have been nice had I done that, 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 you know. Oh, I was, absolutely. <laughs> I laugh about running with um, a guy by the name of Peter Robinson who won three world championships and got second at two others. And, and we were warming up a week or two before the 2004 Olympic Games. And and he said to me, oh, Greg, I'd love to have more World Cup wins like you do. You know, you, you seem to be w winning or on the podium all the time. And I said, Robbo, I'd love to have just one of your world titles, you know. Yeah. It was almost like – Nobody was satisfied, and and no. I think that's almost the the mentality of that competitive spirit that you talk about. The we all wanted that little bit more, and so okay, you 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 realize that strength, and that was pretty quick. You know, that's really within two to three years of being in the sport, you you kind of realize, hey, I've got some ability here. Was there a moment where you were like, when do you when do you think you really pulled the trigger and said, right, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to go all in. Yeah, I think after that 2002 second place, I, I pretty much uh, quit university uh, and it was all in on triathlon. And, um, you know, prior to that, I, I think I needed those results early on because mm. it was kind of like, you know, you're finishing high school, you're pursuing university studies and um, had the opportunity to go and race for the Australian Institute of Sport, which took me overseas um, three or four months of the year through sort of the middle part of the Australian year which was you know when a lot of exams and assignments and and um semi-important um studies were happening if you were focusing on university 
and yeah, I kind of needed, I needed some results or needed something to show me that I may have what it takes to, to be great in this sport. And those, um, well, that event in particular really showed me that, you know, I, I think I have something here and I'm validating to myself that putting my studies on, on hold and pursuing this passion is the right thing to do for me at this point in my life. And, um, but again, it wasn't until sort of 2005, six, when I started to race in the U S that I started to actually make money doing the sport. You know, I was kind of having to go home, um, in the Australian summer, I'd race in Europe and, um, then go home, race the Australian summer, but also work to make enough money to sort of keep supporting myself. So I wasn't really making the prize money to, to support, um, you know, my racing. Fortunately, I was yeah. on the Australian Institute of Sports, so they paid for a lot of my travel and, and obviously our camp in, in Europe was was covered by the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, which, you know, I, I think I was on that team for five years. So, I you know, I owe a lot to them uh, because that was my development years, you know, learning how to travel and race on the road, um, having access to great nutritionists and um, being around other professional athletes and kind of getting the hang of mm. things. Um, that were my learning years. And then, you know, I sort of went by myself over to the U S and started to race non-drafting, um, races in the U S and that's when I really started to actually make money and be able to, you know, come home and not have to work another job. Um, mm. And like I said, at the top of the show, you know, you, you had those three wins, um, at the Ironman world championships, two seconds and then a, and a third in sort of eight years at, at doing Kona. And, and when I look at, like you were kind of saying, you, you you started to really learn and grow sort of from that 2002 to 2006 period. And then really when I, if you look at your resume and look from sort of 2007 onwards, um, that is when Marinda Carfrey really came alive, when you won the 70.3 World Championships in 2007. You'd won many races before that in the longer distance, um, sort of in 05, 06, 07. But mm -hmm. that win there seemed to be the one that said, right, Marinda Carfrey is here, watch out world. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I think um, I think that's when people started to um, know who I was. But it really wasn't until I raced in Kona that people really recognized, okay, this girl could do something great in this sport. Mm. And, um, yeah, and, and that's kind of reflected in my sponsorship as well. Um, you know, I won a lot of races, a lot of halves in, um, 05 and 06 and early 07. Um, and, you know, was doing very well over that distance, but, you know, I was just starting to work with uh, my manager and they were talking to sponsors and they're like, we'd never heard of her. Who, you know, they didn't have a clue. They're like, yeah, no, who is she? No, we, we can't pay you know we we don't have any money for her she's not at the level that we want you know we're looking to sponsor so it really wasn't you know i won that set, um 07 um world title and you know i i gained a couple of small sponsorships then but as soon as i you know stepped foot on the big island and, and was able to finish second to chrissy wellington in 09 that changed everything that was when all of a sudden mm -hmm. you know i had case with sponsorship you know they'd just come into the sport in a big way um and that was really when my life properly changed mm. but but in winning that 07 70.3 that was a, a qualifier um 
for the world championships, right? And which you delayed until 2009 because you were still young and still trying to get an idea about what this long course stuff was all about. And so you pushed it back, which I think showed great maturity to give yourself a bit of a chance to prepare. Um, And then for those that don't know, Chrissy Wellington was a phenomenal, you know, multiple world champion Ironman athlete as well. I think she won four world championships and you and her had a couple of really incredible battles and I think one of the big letdowns was when she decided to retire, but we, we can yes. go we can go into that. I think uh I think you won in uh twenty ten yeah. when she kind of she pulled out and I think yeah. I was I I'll never forget that story. I think you were devastated. Um yeah. because you want to you want to race the best. It's the mentality of a champion athlete. And and then in twenty eleven she came comes back and you guys are within two minutes of each other after sort of almost nine hours of racing. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean- yeah. It was definitely a, felt like the rug was pulled out of underneath my mm. feet. First of all, when she didn't start in 2010, because you know I finished second in my first ever Ironman mm. in Kona in 09 um, to Chrissy, and that was amazing. And I was I was blown away. Um, I mm. didn't, you know, you you hope that you could race at that level and you train, and I, I'd certainly spent many years trying to prepare well for Kona to have a good showing my first time, but to pull it together. Um, especially in Kona when it's a tough race to, you know, you see many greats that don't get it together ever in at, on the big island and to get it together, that was phenomenal. And then 2010, the morning of the race, she didn't didn't show up. And then, yeah, 2011, um, she actually crashed a week before or two weeks before and she was a little bit injured in 11, but I didn't really race super well. I think I was doing too much travel in 2011 after winning in 10. I just sort of mm. partied maybe a little bit too hard and – took a little bit too many (laughs) opportunities because I was like I don't know if I'm ever going to win a world you know this world title again I'm going to take all of these opportunities and I wasn't as focused on the race as I maybe should have been and then yeah I I wasn't able to race her again after that so I really only got two shots at at Chrissy in 09 and then 11 and um and then she retired but you know that there's always new girls lining up and then of course yeah I think I I Personally, I love the fact that you enjoyed your win. I, I think sometimes people go, okay, I've won my Olympic gold medal. Or I've won my Kona Ironman world ch- title. Now I'm going to win it again next year. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've just spent, you know, 10, 15, 20 years getting to here. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Sure, try and put up a good defense, which I think you did the following year. Um, but at the same time, you don't know if these things are ever going to come back. And, you know, your 09 year when you did burst onto this onto the, the world scene with that, you know, I think you ran a 256 marathon off the bike that year. And for people that don't do Ironman or don't understand the sport, you know, you're, you're getting off the bike, you know, after a five-hour bike, a one-hour swim. So you're six hours into an endurance event. And then you're starting a, a marathon in sort of 90 degrees plus humidity through the roof um, conditions, sort of starting at around that mid uh, one o'clock, two o'clock in the day, it's a really difficult marathon to begin with. Even if you just said do a marathon with no swim or bike before it and do it in the cool of the morning, it's still not an easy course. And here are you breaking three hours. And anybody that wants to see great biomechanics and really fluid running should just YouTube Marinda Carfrey and watch how it's done because it's a real pleasure to watch you run. And that 2009 year I think that was like you said that was when the world were like wow this girl woman sorry I've got to be right here this woman really knows how to move across the ground you make it look easy I know it's not easy but 
I've often watched you run and just, I've tried to mimic you in my own running. You know, I'm like, I'm running like Rini. I'm trying to get, you know, this, this kind of form. And I don't know, was that running, was that, have you always been conscious about technique and form or was that kind of your years of basketball gave you a good, you know, body awareness or, I you think, know, cause I, don't, I think, yeah, I, I think it was, um, you know, years of playing basketball and it's, it's sort of, it, it came very naturally to me. Running just comes naturally to me. It's, it, it feels, I just, I kind of just find a good rhythm. And I think my um, technique was really honed when I started working with Siri. We started working on, on um, turnover, running on the treadmill uh, once a week and just getting that turnover um, and getting a, ri- a good rhythm at a high turnover. And I think that was sort of the key to me being able to um, take that through and um, be able to hold that for the marathon. Uh, but it's not really something I've had to uh, to be honest, I, I really did not have never had to work hard at um, my technique at running. Mm. That's, you know, I think we all have our talents and, and mm-hmm. that is certainly certainly mine. Uh, I have had to work very hard in my swim and I still am, you know, every year trying to figure out how to, how to get quicker in the pool. I just can't get it. Um, but the run is completely opposite. It comes naturally to me. I don't have to think about it. I go out and run. Um, if anything, I think about maybe relaxing my shoulders and um and turnover and keeping my um I, my my chin down um but that's they're the if anything that's what I think about most of the time I'm off with the fairies when I'm running and I'm just enjoying being out in in the world um but yeah it's, it's a complete different story with the swim and I think we, yeah we all have those um sports or you know might not even be in sports something that you just can do without much effort I mean mm. yes there is effort with running but not the technique part, there's no effort in thinking but that's about how, that. That's how it looks. That's how it, when it watches you, it looks like you're having a pleasurable time. It looks like you're, you're moving across the ground with ease and it feels good. Even like when we watch you, it looks like you're doing it easy and it looks within your face and the way you move. But I mean, we're also talking about the fact that your energy, I mean, you must have a pretty good nutrition system and the ability to go out and, and run. You know, what do you, when you, when you start your runs in sort of off the bike in Kona, how fast are you running? Are you are you trying to even split it, or you know, are you going out quick, or what, what's your sort of half marathon split at the Ironman when you when you get off and run? Uh, I well, in my early years, I definitely got out way too hot. I think the first couple of years in Kona, I started did a five thirty first mile, maybe another five thirty second mile, and then slowed down. Um, and that's just, I think, youth and excitement got me through those years, and you know, I. And I got to the finish line, but definitely slowed through the back half of the marathon. And as I got a little older, um, my marathon times got a little bit quicker, but I think I just got smarter in my pacing and um, a little older and a little more wise. And uh, I try to go out quickly because I feel like, the you know, you have that energy at the start of the run. But also you never feel great running off the bike. You always feel kind of rubbish. So if you're running 630s, or six minutes, it feels, for me, it feels the same. So I sort of run off, you know, I try to go just over six minute pace for the first couple of miles and then settle into a, um, you know, six twenties, um, and try to just stay there for the rest of the day. Um, and then, you know, if I have anything in the last 10 K, then I, I try to wind it up again, but generally there's, you know, just trying to limp home in the last, last 10 K. But yeah, I, I, I know the, all of the experts say, the best way to run a marathon is to native split it and to go out conservatively and then um, 
you know, try and bring it home a little quicker. But um, I've never really been able to do that. I've always sort of gone out a little bit quicker and split maybe 122, 123 um, through the first half and then slowed in the second. Those times you're mentioning are hilarious, by the way. Now that I've been retired for four or five years, it's um, the idea of what running one mile in six minutes is actually <laughs> – it's actually quite daunting. And I think for a lot of the people that are listening, you know, being amateur athletes or maybe don't even know the sport and do the occasional kind of three or five mile run every couple of days, um, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I was going out. I could go out at a 6.30, but, you know, if I'm going to go sixes, why not? I mean, it, it's just – and and you'll you'll get it one day when you do retire just how – fast it really is and then you know holding those 620s like you're talking about it's um it really is moving across the ground so rapidly and i guess you did get a bit of insight that by having going through the pregnancy and having 18 months off so i'm sure yeah. there was a little bit like whoa i can't believe it you know so you probably ha- yeah. did have that like mini retirement like a intermediary type retirement where you're like oh i've got to come back from it so i guess you did get a bit of a sense of what it's like to try and build all the way back from sort of 10 minute miles all the way down yeah. oh don't don't get me wrong i sit here um even you know mid-season when i'm getting ready for an ironman and think i've got a i i held that pace the whole way <laughs> and it kind of it kind of yeah blows my mind but you know you keep you know keep your head down do the training and um mm. trust in the process and it's pretty incredible what you can put together if you feel well and uh, have done the work mm. And then you went on to, so 2010 was a big breakthrough year. 2011, you were second. I remember 2012 because I actually raced that one. And I did get chicked for everybody listening. Yes. Uh, My one and only Kona. I didn't actually get passed by you, but because you started five minutes after, you actually still did beat me by, I think it was it. I think it Melbourne Ironman, man, you beat me by one second, and I think Kona, you beat me by one minute. So you, you did expand on it. <laughs> yes. yes, I was rubbish at the Ironman, but I, I remember crossing the line in Kona, and then I, not a moment later, there were you. And But the interesting thing about 2012 is I think you were in fantastic shape. But now what happened there? What happened in 2012? In, because yes, 20, 2012, I – is another year that I just look back on and just think, damn it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in really good shape. Um, I actually wasn't working with Siri that year. Uh, I decided to work with a, um, a bike focus, more bike focus program because um, I really felt that that was where I could make up the most time. I felt that I was running pretty well. I wasn't going to make up too much more time on the run, but I felt I could um, improve my bike. But I lost in the first mile of the bike in that race. I uh, ejected one of my um, main nutrition bottles and it had like Mm. two hours worth of nutrition for the bike. Uh, And so I was left having to sort of figure out how to replenish that. And I didn't really have a good plan B. I hadn't sat down and mapped out exactly what I would need. And so, um, yeah, I I made a rookie error. I didn't have a a good plan B and um, paid for it big time. I got off off the bike and and started out the run fine as you do. Um, But sort of, I think I caught Leander about mile 13 or 14. So halfway through the marathon, I think Carolyn Stefan wasn't too far up the road. Um, And I basically, I actually didn't even pass her. I was catching up to her and then things started to go south. Uh, My calves were cramping. Uh, my quads were cramping and I was left to just <laughs> kind of try and hobble the rest of the way in, which is a long way. 
mm-hmm. from you know 13 14 miles um the the red light is beeping um the engine light is on um and yeah i i basically just had to hobble my way back in and um i was a wreck i think they weighed me after the race and i was 10 pounds lighter than i was the morning of the race which for me is a lot of my body yeah. i think i was about 108 pounds so um yeah i just didn't have i just messed up my nutrition i actually in hindsight it was more uh just water and fluids um that i was lacking um obviously i was probably down in carbohydrates too but uh yeah i was just completely dehydrated and yeah that was a yeah i actually as rubbish as that year was it was a great learning experience and i think i ran a 303 marathon with half of the marathon i was basically hobbling so i took a ton of confidence from that race uh finishing mm-hmm. third and knowing that i didn't race even close to what i was capable of, of doing and so you know then you know 13 and 14 13 i think was my best ever performance in kona which you know obviously came the the year after and then 14 again um mm. yeah another really good performance so as much as i look at 2012 and think ah oh, that i i stuffed that up um it really was a great learning experience and i think set me up for what i think what was my best performance ever in 2013 and that's the mind of a champion right there you know it really is like taking sort of a a major loss to some degree when you're going in you know knowing that you you're one of the favorites to win and, and you've done the work and you don't win. It could be seen as somewhat of a failure, but you stepped away and said, right, that's actually given me more confidence. And mm-hmm. and I don't think there's – not every athlete would do that. You know, not every athlete would be able to turn that kind of a, a disappointment full-blown into a, hey, as much as I would have loved to win, I now know that, you know, with having a plan B, like you said, <laughs> I've learned yeah. that I need to have an A, a B, a C, and a D. And, you know, because you, even going into that 2012, you'd had a second, you'd had a win, you'd had another second, and then you still backed it up with a third on what would be a bad day in the sense that you lost your nutrition, which yeah. does happen in the, in the yes. sport of Ironman. And, and you need to know what you're going to do if that nutrition is lost and, and you didn't have that plan. I, I remember talking to you soon after 2012 and you just said, oh, yeah, I just I didn't drink enough and I didn't, you know, it was just yeah. – you were frustrated because you knew you didn't get to show your best. But then, like you just touched on, you you came back in 2013 and laid down one of the most incredible performances we've ever seen by any woman do at Kona because I, you raced with such confidence, you know, and then you came from so far back. That was the year, right? You came back. 14. Or was that 20? That was 14. 14, came back. yeah. 2013 was the one that you really sort of just, was strong all the way through you ran a 250 marathon Mm -hmm. a 250 marathon i mean that was the fastest in your household until this year wasn't it (laughs) yes yes for those that don't know for those that don't know marinda carfrey is married to another good friend of mine timothy o'donnell and probably america's greatest ever um at least of this century um ironman athletes i think with uh, he just went we'll talk to him in a later show but he just broke eight hours at the kona ironman world championships with a 248 marathon and has been one of the most consistent guys and is knocking on the door of, of a championship win um and finally with these 248 He's now gone two minutes quicker than you, and I think I think in his, in the household he feels he feels somewhat um, better about himself. And mm-hmm. but that that 2013, yeah, that was a remarkable 
race all around for you, wasn't it? Because, I mean, you really did. It was a hot year um, and you came back and, and consistent swim, bike and run, would you say? Yeah, I think I think that's why um, every, I, often people say how um, great my performance was in 2014 uh, being down so far off the bike, 14 minutes or whatever, and coming back and winning. And, and yes, mentally that was probably my best performance in that I was – sort of on the ropes, off the bike. I actually did not think I was even going to come close to winning and um, kept my head and, and put together a really good marathon and, and ran a few seconds faster than I did the year before, uh, which is almost my goal to try and run faster every year. Um, mm. But I think my strongest performance, just because I had a strong swim, I, I you know my numbers on the bike were really good and I ran a strong marathon off that, uh, that bike. So um, all around my performance, I think in 13 was, was better, but mentally my 14 performance, uh, was probably my strongest. And I think by 2013 and 2014, you'd started to really figure out how to be absolutely in peak in October, because I remember even during that time, I, I think, you know, Tio, Timothy, your husband was winning early. I was winning early. Laura was winning a couple of races early and you weren't. I remember yeah, us all sitting around at dinner and we were all like, oh, Paul Rinney. Paul Rinney's not winning anything and boom, then you go win another Ironman title, world title at the end of the year and then boom, again, you go and we all sat there going, ah, we're not feeling sorry for Rinney anymore not winning earlier in the year. Was that right? Did you really feel like you'd started to just go, no, I know how to get ready for this world championship? Yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just plan my whole – I always plan my whole year around Kona but I also really like to win and so – um, my ego liked the early season wins. And then, um, <laughs> then I realized how no really, no other race really matters. The only race that matters is Kona. Uh, the only mm-hmm. race that really people remember, um, in my sport of, of endurance, you know, long course triathlon mm-hmm. is Kona. You can win countless other Ironman races and 70.3s throughout the year, but nobody really cares. And certainly the people who are writing the checks, um, the sponsors, <laughs> really just want to see a performance in Kona. And so, um, you know, then I really started um, not, you know, worrying so much about the early season losses and the, the beat-ups that I got early in the year uh, because I kind of had the confidence to know that I could perform well in October. Mm. And, and that came through in 2014. You know, yeah. when, when, when you get off the bike and you hear – 14.30, I think it was, behind Daniela Riff, who was a rookie that year um, and had an cr- incredible swim bike for her first time through. But And then we just saw the way you just ran through the field. Do you remember where you got off the bike that year and, and uh, what position and how many people you had to actually run through? Actually, I do. I, I was eighth off the bike and mm. so um, 14 and a half minutes down from Daniela and uh, I was – I had a terrible attitude when I first stopped off the bike. I think I saw Siri a mile into the run and she was crouched down like a tiger and she was so fired up. She was like, you are in the perfect position. And I'm like, are you watching the same? Are you watching the race? Are you serious? And uh, we laugh about that um, often uh, because, yeah, she was just so adamant that I was going to be able to run everyone down. Um, But I was like, oh, I'm – I'm a failure. I'm the defending world champion and I'm this far down off the lead. Like I, you know, you have those negative, negative self-talk and then, you know, I, saw, I see Siri and then I'm like, okay, you need to just focus um, and do the best that you can. Um, and, you know, I know I knew I looked after myself well nutritionally on the bike. I'd fueled well. I felt good. 
um, at the start of the run. And so I just sort of uh, forgot about the win for a minute. I sort of just focused on getting in the top five was my first goal and, and really, you know, stop thinking about, you know, what I'd done the year before and forget about all of that stuff and just focus on, mm-hmm. um, you know, the small things. And for me, that was, um, you know, you know, my small technique cues, but then also focusing on trying to get top five. And uh, fortunately for me, it took me a while to catch top five. I think it was back out in the Queen K, which is probably 10, 11, 12 miles into the race. Mm. But fortunately, uh, third, fourth, and fifth were running together. And so (laughs) my my top five ended up being top three. So all of a sudden, my day is looking a whole lot better. Um, You know, I'm running to third place. And then I was focused on, you know, catching second, which I think was Rachel Joyce. Uh, and I caught her down in the energy lab and then, um, and then, yeah, was back onto the queen K and, uh, focused on trying to, trying to catch up to Daniela. And, um, it is, it's pretty fun to be able to catch up to the lead like that, to be able to run through the field. Uh, I never get to do it the other way around. I generally am always trying to catch, but, um, you know, watching, you know, all the, the choppers and seeing where the choppers are, even if you're, you know, two miles behind or mile behind you can you see exactly where that lead is and um it's a good visual to try and um will yourself to to get up to the front i love that i love the fact that you're watching the choppers and i also love the fact that you you were able to calm your mind um you know and quieten in the mind because i think that's one of the struggles you have in endurance sports that can be quite loud in your head it can be quite loud that i don't feel good this is not my day blah 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 and and to just calm the mind down and quieten it and then just say right one step at a time what are the, some of the what are some of the things i can get out of this you know and it's it's like you said a top 5 a top 5 would mean i've turned a bad day at least into an average to good day all right oh fifth fourth and third are all together great boom I mean, to third. Okay, what's yep. next? And then, you, you know, following the choppers, I, I think that's fantastic, you know, because that's obviously what the leader doesn't get to have. I think they, yeah. they got the helicopters above. And so how far to go did you actually make the pass that year? I only caught her with 5K to go. So it was it was pretty late in the game. And, um, yeah, I caught her, you know, not long before the climb back up to uh, Polani. And then, um, yeah, I was still able to enjoy the – the rundown Polani and then Elite Drive, which was really special. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I knew that Daniela was. I couldn't let her win in that rookie year. I was very, <laughs> very, very glad to to not let her win in her first first year. I yeah. I even said to Rachel when we, we went, when I went past her, I'm like, we can't let a rookie win because yeah. Rachel and I had battled in the, in the lava fields, you know, many many years, and um, so yeah, that was kind of my motivation in that late part of the run. Like, we can't let a rookie beat us. Because that never happens. It really doesn't happen oh. much in Kona Ironman. It's a, we can have some of the greatest athletes in the world turn up. You know, in the men we've seen the last few years, we've had two-time Olympic gold medalist um, Alistair Brownlee. We've had Javier Gomez, who has nine world titles at various distances, not be able to come to Kona and win their first time out. And, yeah, and in the Jan, women, Jan, was Jan Fredino yes. had to get third, who's an Olympic gold medalist as well and, and was a 70.3 world champion at the time. And, and it seems like everybody has to pay their respect. They have to pay their dues it's like no i mean we have a couple that have come here yeah. and done it i think chrissy wellington uh yep chrissy did she, it. and then i think we've had a man back in the day um probably a couple of men but i the names are i can't quite remember i also just want to have a special reach out you, you mentioned siri so siri lindley um 
phenomenal coach for many, many years, has now become one of the, the world's great speakers and, and just a phenomenal um, person all around. And I can just see her in the tiger crouch, just her energy just coming, folding out and just oh, exploding yeah. out of her. She's that kind of person. And, and just for people listening, um, you know, Siri's going through a little bit right now. She, she has a, acute myeloid leukemia and she's going through some treatment and things. So anybody that has a chance, please, uh, I think she has a GoFundMe page. Um, and I think it'd be yep. great, you know, if you could go support her, um, almost makes me tear up talking about it because she, she's a, a wonderful girl and I know she's got an incredible fighting spirit. Um, and her energy is just incredible. So, uh, I, you know, just a quick shout out to Siri while, while we're, you know, while you mentioned her. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, just going back to that, what, you know, I think one of the, you know, the best decisions it, in my career was to go back and work with Siri again. Um, and that was, um, kind of, I don't know. I think not many athletes I think would do that just in that it was almost like, okay, you were right. I was wrong. We (laughs) really work well together. You know, can we work again? And, you know, obviously she welcomed me back with arms wide open and, um, you know, our best years were after we had sort of a break and I was able to go and work with some other coaches and sort of see, some other approaches. And so, um, yeah, just obviously she is a massive, massive part of my life still is, um, mm-hmm. and has been for the last 10 years of my triathlon career. I, I owe her a great debt and, um, yeah, she's, she's battling right now and, uh, it's a, it's tough times, but she is one of the toughest people mm-hmm. I know I've ever met. And, um, I know she'll shine through this and this will be one of her greatest triumphs. But, uh, yeah, she does have a yeah. GoFundMe and those medical builds, bills are piling up for them. So, And she is a world champion athlete. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> I mentioned great yes. coach and speaker, but she actually did win the 2001 IT World Championships in Edmonton. So just phenomenal athlete, coach, speaker, and just great person. But, I mean, we're, we're touching on now what I really want to talk about, and that is uh, the relationships and the teams that you've built around yourself over the years. Um Take me through that. Take me through your your family, your team of experts that have been behind you and, and how have you been able to orchestrate that? Because, you know, it seems to me that none of us can get to the top of the world without having tremendous support. So what how's that looked like for you over the years? Yeah, I think um, my team's always been pretty pretty small and intimate. Um, Siri's obviously a big, big part of that team um, and has been. Um, I added Erin Carson uh, as a strength coach back in 2012. Uh, so yeah, I've been working with her for a long time now as well. Um, she was an awesome addition. Um, and then my manager, Shannon Delaney and uh, Wendy Ingram, um, they have also been really great on the business side of things, just taking care of, um, you know, making sure I'm, uh, well presented, represented to sponsors and, um, uh, you know, that side of the business has been taken care of, which has been taken off my plate, which has been, which great and then obviously uh, my husband Tim O'Donnell we met in um, 09 and he's been with me through my whole Ironman career he was actually there we met in early 09 and we're just starting to date and he came to Kona in 09 and watched and obviously again in 10 Um, and then yeah we've just been a really strong team throughout um, Mm. this Ironman Um, and then you know we've had great training partners along the way from my early days with um, Sarah Groff and Lauren Sarah True, sorry, I should say, and, and Lauren Campbell, I'm um, sorry, Lauren um, Deer, uh, a couple other good friends, Mary Miller, and then, you know, yourself, uh, Greg and, and Laura has actually been one of my f- 
all-time favorite training partners. Um, she was training with me through my, you know, my best Kona years. I'm having her to run with. Um, she was, it was perfect. Uh, absolutely love training with, with Laura and really miss, miss her company. Um, now it's, uh, I, I don't, I think having good training partners is probably one of the, the most important parts of this whole thing. Uh, you know, cause you can do the training by yourself, but having a good friend, um, to come along with you, who's of similar ability, that just makes the experience that much better. Um, and I've been fortunate to have really great people around me uh, in training partners, um, namely you know, Laura and or Julie Dibbins as well, um, and, and Craig Alexander as well. When he was racing, I, I got to do a lot of training with him as well. So, um, yeah, I look back and those are some of my fondest memories, just going out and doing the long miles and being tired together and punching out mm. another hard session. Um, they're some of the best memories um, and have made this experience enriched this whole experience that much more for me. Um, and yeah, my, obviously my family back home in Australia has always supported anything I do. My mum has been to Kona every single year. Actually, she came to the every single world championship. She came to the 70.3 world championships too. Um, always there to support me, uh, which, you know, is tough when, you know, she doesn't, doesn't have a whole lot of money. Um, well, she does now because she sold her property, but um, <laughs> she never she never had a lot of money. But she always, you know, made it a point to be there for me to support me um, on you know the, the biggest stage of our sport. So uh, very lucky to have uh, great support around me. And um, I've also found that I I very quickly move away from bad energy or people who mm. are not as supportive or not adding anything. Um, and so that's why I say I keep my, my group is pretty small. My group of friends is pretty small. And, um, I think that the reason for that is I, I just don't have the energy or time for anyone who is not of a similar mindset. Mm. And yeah, I think that served me very well. I think you just touched on that. And I think that's exactly right. I, I think people are drawn to you because of, they want to be a part of, your career, win, lose, or draw, they, they want to be a part of being around you because you have such great energy and they can see your discipline and determination of where you're trying to go. And And one of the things I often mention in this show is it's one thing to have a team of experts around you. It's another thing to have a team of experts that truly all want the best for you. You know, And um, I, I mentioned Marcus Mejias, who you often see as a massage therapist in Boulder as well. And I often, he basically, there were times when I'd been hit by bikes or had had injuries where he'd drop everything and would come over to our house basically every night for 30, 40 minutes just to work on me to try and get me going. And that to me, it wasn't even, it wasn't about the money. It was the fact that he just wanted to be there to help me be at my best. Um, and when you surround yourself with those kinds of people, you know, and you open yourself up to, I, I, I wouldn't call it, you, you said it was lucky. You were lucky to have those people. I, I still think there's a, an orchestration that you have put together in the sense that, look, guys, I'm on a mission. I'm going this way. Please come on, on board and join the bus and let, let's go do it together because you recognize people on the way. So they feel like they're a part of a journey. They're a part of something bigger. And there's been ups and downs all the way along the way. And, and some of you, sometimes you've had some great success and you've been able to celebrate with these people. Like after 2010, you celebrated with everybody for 12 months, it sounds like. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then they, they have the downtimes as well. But it's always nice to have that team. And you and T.O. are 
uh, probably two of the 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 be- the tightest couple, the best couple that I think, you know, Laura and I have met in terms of trying to support each other, you know, and it's not easy being, you know, uh, professional triathletes in the same household, a husband and wife, um, both trying to become the best in the world, both pushing hard, both tired at times, wanting to kind of attack each other at times, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> but it's also like, you know, at times you're both up and sometimes you're both down and one time another one's up another one's down and and it's hard to manage that but you guys have been able to manage that really well and you're a very good team and you know I can't imagine what you've got you know when you go into Kona these days and you know you've got Izzy with you as well and then you're both trying to win a world title um but you manage that very well well thank you GB yeah we we definitely try but yeah I mean as you know it's um a juggling act and um it's really it's sometimes tough to get everyone performing well on the on the one day, but um, the other on the other hand, we have two chances um, at performing well on the big day. <laughs> that's true. Um, and there unfortunately, you, there you are again. That's yeah. a champion mindset again. It's like it's always looking at that glass half full. I love that. And so, tell me a yeah. bit about. I, I just want to look at some of the fundamentals that you've been able to orchestrate throughout your career, and and I want to start with your sleep and recovery. Um, how have you sort of managed that and have you had to use wearables or anything like that to measure your sleep or, you know, sleep, you know, that come pretty easy to you? No, I think you know well, GB, I'm a good sleeper. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I never really worried about wearables or anything. I just, um, prior to Izzy at least, uh, I would basically sleep, eat, train, sleep. Like that was just how it would go. Um would take regular two-hour naps every day um, and probably eight hours at night. So I was probably always getting nine to 11 hours of sleep a day. Um, yeah, I never really had much trouble getting to sleep. Hmm. Um, and I think that's been a key in helping me recover and be able to handle so much training. I think um, like obviously sleep is probably the most important time to let your body recover um you add in other things like you know the normatec recovery boots and obviously massage i've i've used um readily um and more as i get a little older uh now that we have izzy i still try and follow a similar plan i still try and get as much sleep during a 24-hour period it just might not be you know a nap in the daytime it might just be um, I just go to bed when Izzy, Izzy goes to bed. I wake mm-hmm. up when Izzy wakes up, which is, you know, 10 hours later, um, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, usually she wakes up in the night as well. But, um, yeah, and then if I if I need an extra little nap in the day, I'll try and take it when Izzy's taking her nap. But generally I'm taking less naps um, these days because I try to sort of get all my training done during the day and, um, you know, finish a little earlier. I'm not training. It's late in the evening so that I can be home and be around with Izzy. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't stress too much about, you know, sleeping. Um, and in mm. fact, the, these days it's just more about doing my training and spending time with Izzy. And I feel like she gives me more energy. Um, and certainly she did earlier on when, you know, I had all the, the hormones from, um, having a baby and being a new mom. But um, now I, f- I feel like she just gives me energy. Just her, She kind of lights up the room or lights up our life anyway. And so um, I think that that for us um, is is energy given. Or Wow. Um, That's beautifully uh, said. I love that because I, I think – I feel like we all look at having a baby as like it's almost like taking away from. And, and so that's really refreshing to hear that, you know, there's such joy in – 
and having a new person in your life that's just so loving and full of energy and that that you actually see it as as giving you energy i think that's i love that i haven't yeah, never heard I mean, it I, said that way yeah I mean, I, it's the only way to explain it because i mm. i you know I, I probably train a little bit less now but i am getting older so i don't try and push the envelope as much as i used to and i don't think it's as necessary as it, it used to be but um that's the only way i can explain it you know mm. especially when she was younger i had more energy than you know, I've had prior to having Izzy and um, I was, you know, sleeping less and uh, doing awesome. more. So, um, yeah, put it down to her little spirit. <laughs> and how about your nutrition? Have you been able to, have you been fairly consistent? Are you, are you following any kind of specific diets? Like, um, I don't know. Tell, tell us about how you're managing that. No, no, I don't really follow any strict diet. I kind of, you know, I, I, I like to try and, you know, eat all organic, non-GMO foods uh, where possible. Um, we we uh, we like uh, steaks um, a couple of times a week. Um, we eat, you know, generally you know, chicken, steak, or lamb uh, most nights uh, with salad or veggies, um, and then we pretty much just graze throughout the day. But we're not following any strict strict plan. We just try to eat pretty well and. Um, you know, we do enjoy our chocolate and ice cream and, you know, if I feel like that, you know, after a session or any time of the day, that's uh, free for all given that I feel like you should be allowed to eat what you want when you train as hard as we do. I think I think if I had a, a time in the year where I did focus a little bit more, that's sort of usually eight weeks out from Kona, I, I maybe, you know, drop the ice cream and drop the wine. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of the extent of our dieting uh, if you mm. want to call it that um but that's i mean and i haven't actually even done that the last couple of years because so, i've since i had izzy i've been pretty lean um and haven't needed to you know drop any weight at all i've been kind of you know lighter than i used to be anyway hmm. well you i mentioned it um when i did the podcast show episode with um with craig alexander and we were talking about nutrition and basically when you're an athlete, it's like you, you've got a bonfire in your, in your gut that's just churning away and yeah. it, it almost doesn't matter what you're putting in there. And, and, and I'm not discrediting, discrediting nutrition and, and all sorts of eating the right things. I'm just saying that you seem to be able to get away with a lot more and yes. because of that bonfire. And, and I noticed when I retired, I was like, oh, crap, I really have to, <laughs> I really do have to watch a little bit more. You know, I'm only training sort of half hour to an hour each day these days and it's like, wow, you know, I really, I can feel the difference between what I eat these days compared to when I was training, you know, four to eight hours a day when the body was just craving anything. It was like, get it in there, get it in there. And, and I think that's it. I think, and you're training for performance. You, you really are just fueling yourself to prepare for the next day. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. constant that you're just trying to keep yourself topped up. And, you know, I don't know any endurance athlete that needs to really cut out food too much to get lean because, you tend to be lean already just due to the training effect, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're doing something wrong, I think if you're having to be on a diet with the mm. amount of work that we're doing every yeah. day, but generally, it's, you know, it's, it should be the other way around. You're trying to eat. You get sick of eating because you're just like constantly yeah. you know, burning it off. Well, and I think the only the athletes that may carry a little bit of weight um, I think are overtrained. 
or, and and not getting enough sleep. And so what happens, I think, you know, and this is a whole nother topic, but they, you know, there's a real hormonal response to the body that yeah. it's just going to hang on to anything that you give it. And it's going to try and slow you down in training and try and keep the weight on because it's just so over fatigued and overtired. So I think it's almost like a good idea. You know, if you, if you're finding that you're keeping weight on, even though you're training a lot, it might be that you're actually over training and, and not getting enough sleep and recovery. Um, yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that for sure. And then, and then talking about general health, if you do, you do anything to manage your general health. Are you are you taking any kind of supplements or anything specifically? Are you, um, you know, do you get blood work done very often? And and how is your general health most of the time? Yeah, um, generally, you know, we are very healthy. We don't. I didn't even have a doctor, so I don't um, get regular checkups or anything. But um, I am on some supplements that I've been taking for many years, um, way back, um, probably 15 years ago. I went and saw a naturopath and she, she sort of gave me an idea of what things um, would just be good to, to stay on. Um, and that's a multivitamin, a fish oil, um, coenzyme Q10 um, and probiotic. Um, and I actually also take uh, D because I found that um, my vitamin D is a little low, which is crazy since we're out in the sun a lot. I just think the amount of sun cream we all use all the time now and being up in Boulder, the vitamin D, um, I, I guess you don't get it from the sun as much at altitude. Uh, so I take a D supplement. I found that in a, a blood test and it's consistently a little bit lower than it should be. So um, that's sort of my go-to. Also, I started taking magnesium um, as well um, and I found in a blood test that that was a little low. I generally take get a blood test maybe once or twice a year or if I'm feeling a little off, I might go and get one just to see if the, there's anything that's awry. But um, generally that's sort of my concoction of um, vitamins that I try to just keep topped up. Um, you should be able to get it and I should be getting it through my uh, the foods that I'm eating, but uh, mm. just to make sure I just make sure I you know take, take in those extra supplements to, to make sure everything's topped up. Have you got someone that works with you through that that you you use on a regular basis that they can kind of look at how you how, what things you need or do you read it yourself? No, I um I my sister actually is a naturopath, so um, I chat to her a little bit, um, and then um, I when I get my blood work done, they give you a comprehensive um, overview and sort of and give recommendations. And mm -hmm. um, Dr. Garrett Rock is um, the doctor behind, you know, that program uh, that they're offering is basically just, you know, I can't even think of what the name of it is now, but um, they'll send you through a link um, and you basically um, uh, any, 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 I can't even remember which, which um, group does it, but any um, lab, a certain lab will lab corp, I think, um, in your area, you can just take the paperwork in and they'll, they'll draw the blood for you and send it back to um, his group. They'll analyze it and um, give you the results. So that's, awesome. that's, basic, that's what I do. And, and your training now compared to over the last 10 to 15 years, how is, has that changed dramatically since having Izzy? Or, and what was your training like leading up to sort of 09, 10? And then, you know, compared to 18, 19, is it a dramatic difference 10 years later? Um. Subtle differences wouldn't be wouldn't be dramatic. I, I think um, I just probably more mileage. So like probably more rubbish mileage. I would put um, back in nine ten up to even 
you know, 15, I sort of was always trying to, you know, hit 100K weeks, 90 to 100K weeks of running. So I'd do a lot of extra um, second runs in the in the latter part of the day um, throughout the year and um, extra bike rides just to get the mileage up. But now I feel that um, we kind of get rid of a lot of that fluff and mm-hmm. we'll do the specific sessions. So, sure, leading into an Ironman or a longer race, I'm trying to build the mileage up just to harden my legs up for the effort that um, is to come. But uh, if anything, it's, um, yeah, just less of the um, easier aerobic sessions um, that really just fluff. Well, the work's in you, isn't it? I mean, after all those years, you can feel the strength, you can feel the aerobic conditioning that's just in the body and – and it really is almost you're taking away if you if you're trying to overdo it um, as you get older. But it's one of the benefits of racing in your late thirties is is the ability to draw upon all the years of consistent hard work that you have in you. Um, you know, I had a great conversation as I mentioned with Craig Alexander, and you know he's forty six and still winning seventy point threes and and still an incredible athlete. And a lot of that is he's drawing on the work that he's done over. 25 years and and i see you much the same as you've got that work in you now and uh, and anything else you do beyond the the focus workouts is almost taking away yeah for sure yeah so one of my favorite things i want to talk about just um real quick is is your your mental strategies um i've always seen you as somebody who seems to be incredibly focused um once that gun goes off and is there anything you do leading up to races in preparation in terms of maybe visualizing or, or affirmations that prepare you? You know, nothing really specific. I do, I do do a lot of visualization just of the race itself um, and the mindset I want to have in that race. Uh, not so much specifics um, in terms of affirmations or um, mantras or, or any of that. It's just more getting my mind in a space where I'm ready to to hurt, I guess, or ready to um, just be willing to, to to take that step, you know, like to, to go where you need to go, that, you know, that place you need to go that's necessary for greatness. Um, so, yeah, I just spend a lot of time just trying to mentally prepare for the effort uh, more than anything. Um, and so is that kind of saying, hey, you talk to yourself almost in the third person, hey, Rini, <laughs> This is going to be a, an epic day, and you just keep telling yourself that over weeks leading into a major race. You know, are you yeah, like how is that actual process of mental? How are, how are you doing that? Yeah, there is a little bit of third person uh, talking to myself. Like, yes, um, you need to be ready, um, and and also like just thinking about the the athletes that I'm racing against and um, how it's going to look and who I might be around and, and going through like different scenarios in my head of how the race could unfold. Um, I think if you've spent time in your mind uh, going through different scenarios, then if they happen on the day, you're more confident and willing to um, or ready to, to take whatever actions necessary in that moment instead of being taken off guard. Uh, I think that's been really good uh, just, you know, having different scenarios ready to go or pl- already played out in your mind so that, you know, on game day it's um, second nature for you to just go go through with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't even – it's not even a conscious – I don't set aside times where I, okay, I need to talk think about this now. It's more that, you know, I, I sort of go into bed at night and then I start thinking about the race and then 
naturally it just sort of comes up and then obviously it increases leading into a race. You're more focused, you're more thinking about um, what's ahead uh, uh, and, um, yeah, just kind of almost psyching yourself up, getting mm. yourself ready for the battle. Um, Are you psyching yeah, yourself up when you're in transition? You, you've done Kona, I think, 10 times now, right? You've started Kona 10 times. I, when you're in transition and you, you, you're walking out, you're at the pier and, you, and then you're walking down to the stairs and you're about to swim out, at that point in time, are you still pumping yourself up or are you trying to calm yourself down or are you just trying to be neutral? What, what are you um, saying to yourself in that final sort of half hour to hour there? I In the final uh, moments before a race or even hour before a race, especially the big ones, um, if it's not a big race, I'm probably still pumping myself up and still like getting myself psyched <laughs> up. Yeah, but yeah. in Kona, there's no need. <laughs> You know, yeah. like you walk down there and there's there's enough energy to lift anyone's um, to get them ready for a, a world championship race. So I'm more like trying to take deep breaths and calm myself down and, and relax and um, tell myself I'm going to be okay, it's going to be fine, <laughs> do this, you're ready, you've done the training. Um, yeah, just more more trying to calm myself down in those, in those mm-hmm. last moments than anything. Uh, I think – you want to conserve as much energy energy as possible in the morning leading into a race. You can waste a lot of energy being nervous, being too amped up. Um, so just trying to like be calm um, and cool, and yeah, just try and get to that start line. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, in a in a I guess more neutral mindset because once the gun goes off, you know, the adrenaline is, is already pumping, and yeah, you're ready to go. It's like Mark Allen, who's won Kona Ironman six times and one of the world's greatest male athletes for sure. Um, he puts it, look, I'm not trying, I'm just trying to quieten the mind. I don't, I don't want positive. I don't want negative. I just want quietness. You know, it's he, he yeah. worked for many, many years just to quieten it down and, and did that through the whole race, not just before the race. He'd try and just keep it quiet the whole time. You know, stop overanalyzing any given moment, just keep quiet, keep calm and keep, carry on, you know, it's like, that. Um, yeah. so it's exactly what you're saying there. Just quieten down. Let's just get to the race as calm as we can. And let's save that energy. Have you, have you got any gear recommendations, swim, bike, run, recovery, nutrition tips that you think, you know, the listeners might be able to take away and put in their own sort of, um, whatever athletic endeavors or whatever they're doing themselves? Um, <laughs> Not really. I mean, I probably, as soon as I get off the phone, will think of something. Oh, yeah, I'm doing this. <laughs> well, you said really Normatech boots earlier. I, yeah, I, not, I, you know, yeah. Normatech boots. Um, no, honestly, I, I think it, for, for the most part, you know, for the everyday athlete out there, there's no, there's no little gadgets or anything other than doing the work, having good recovery, sleeping, um, get the big things right. I think if you just mm. get the big things right, um, you think about all the one percenters later on. But um, just try and get all the big things right, and you'll have, you know, you you're ninety nine percent of the way there. You know that seems to be a common theme. All the champion athletes I've spoken to, whether it be Craig Alexander, Cam Worth, um, Javier Gomez, it's none of you have said you need to do this. You need to do that. Everybody, every one of you has said just consistent work, get your sleep yes. in, get your recovery. You know, and I, I, I feel like uh, for amateur athletes and, um, and newbies, they're almost blown away by I need all this gear, I need all these wearables, I need – I'm not saying this stuff isn't great for that final 1% like you talk about, but, you know, what seems to be the theme amongst the great athletes of the world is, hang on, 
just keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's like yeah. let, let's not overthink this. So, um, yeah. Well, I think also the you know us older athletes, you've used all the gadgets, and maybe you you know a season you thought, oh, this is working great, and then the next year you're like, well, that didn't work at all. Like, mm. I don't I don't feel great at all. Feel like I'm using the same you know whatever recovery tool, and I'm not recovering as well as I was last year. Um, and so you kind of like things come in and out of your program. And yes, there are some stables. I mean, I really do use the, the Normatec boots. I, 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 you know, I, I should use the foam roller more and I know it helps me, um, but I'm lazy and I don't want to do it. <laughs> You're normal. Um, You're normal. Nobody wants yeah. to do it. No. <laughs> yeah. And massage, another thing, you know, yeah. Marcus is, is a little magician in Boulder. I, you know, love that guy and hope he continues to work while I still am racing, doesn't retire anytime soon. Mm. But, um, yeah, like, you know, there are a few things that are consistent, but there are other little gadgets that kind of come in and come out of your, uh, your routine. And uh, I think you've kind of find over time that as long as you're consistent with your training and as long as you're sleeping well, then you're mm. pretty well on your way. That's awesome, Rini. So what does 2020 have in store for you? So 2020, um, I, I'm still trying to figure out uh, my race schedule, but I'm, mm. I'm think, considering doing Ironman St. George in early May. Um, oh. I, for the first time, need to qualify for Kona. Yes, um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I'll actually be really racing hard. Um, I, you know, I, I want to would want to put a good performance forward there. So that's sort of my early season goal. And depending that's a tough on how one, that, right? St. George yeah. is going to be Utah. There's some hills and climbing, but you like all of that. I think. I think. Yeah, I'm just right. hoping that it'll be warm because um, the last mm-hmm. time I did it, it was very cold, um, mm-hmm. and I I don't like the cold so much, but. Um, yeah, I just like it because I like the timing. Early May, I should be um, in very good, decent shape by then, um, hopefully very good shape by then. And it's early enough before Kona, so I have enough time to sort of recover. Um, mm. And it's a championship event, so there's uh, two to three slots available for the women. So, you know, it will be a good field, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, as long as I have everything, um, have um, done all the work that, no planning to do in the next you know three four months then you know we should be a good performance there so that's my early season goal fantastic really well i look forward to seeing you and so how do people follow you i know what's your youtube channel that you you and tio have yeah so uh, tim and i have uh the tim and rinny show um on youtube uh you can just search the tim and rinny show Mm-hmm. Um, and we will usually throughout the season, we have a, an episode every week or other week. Um, otherwise we're on Instagram. Um, I'm at Marinda Carfrey, um, or on, on Facebook and Twitter too, but mostly Instagram and, um, and our YouTube channel. So check us out. Awesome. Rini. I know that YouTube channel is a lot of fun, by the way. It's uh, yeah. basically a day in the life of Tio and Rini and, and raising and Izzy. Izzy while, while yep. trying to while trying to maintain professional careers and and it, it's very insightful and, and really enjoyable. I think you've got a whole bunch of subscribers on there now. But if anybody isn't subscribed, go go and check it out. You you really will enjoy that. Um, so Rini, this has been a real pleasure, and uh, I tell you, I miss you guys terribly. We we have yeah. had a lot of fun over the last you know fifteen years, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross here again soon. But I really really appreciate you taking time away from a very busy schedule between you know, trying to train and, and, and raise a toddler. And, and yeah. I, I'm not talking about T.O., I'm talking about Izzy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's it's just been a really great chat and I really appreciate your, your insights. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, 
Rennie, thank you. Thank you, GB. We miss All you right. too. All right. Look forward we'll to catching up soon. Okay. See ya. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.